And so if you have your Bibles now, please turn to James chapter 2 as we are going through the book of James in this summer sermon series. We're going verse by verse as we look at this great letter written by uh, Jesus' half-brother, James himself. And it's all about how do we gain heavenly wisdom. As you're turning there, I want to dismiss the, the children, kindergarten through second grade for Children's Church. Well, I'll be reading from the ESV translation, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we'll look at this morning. This is God's holy and inspired word. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of the Lord. There are two points in which James wants to hone in on when he talks about that of favoritism. Uh, The first point is that in light of Christ's divine glory, it is foolish to show favoritism. The second point he gives later on in this section is in light of God's royal, royal law of liberty, it's foolish to show favoritism. So the first six verses, James really hones in on the fact that in light of Christ's divine glory, it is foolish to show favoritism. And I absolutely love how he starts out in verse one when he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Why should we not favoritize? Why should we not show favoritism to others? Well, the, the main sole reason is because the only person who we are to elevate as superior and who we are to put on a pedestal is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Everyone else who's ever lived throughout history is inferior to Jesus. Jesus is the superior one that we hold in high esteem and in high regard, who we worship and who we adore. I like how James describes him as the glory one in one translation. Jesus is the glory one. And it reminds me of John 1.14 when it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is considered the glory one. And when he left heaven and came to this earth, we saw Jesus. We saw God in human flesh in the Son, Jesus Christ. And he is indeed 
the glory one that we elevate. And because he's the glory one, we don't need to put others above, above him. We are all beneath him. We are all below him. And so anyone other than Jesus is inferior. I like how one person put it. One person said it this way, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't mean that one person is higher than another when we come before Jesus at the foot of the cross. The ground is level. We all come as sinners in the sight of a holy, perfect Jesus. We all come to Jesus at the foot of his cross, begging and pleading for him to show us his mercy. And so that's what really unites us all, is that we are all sinners, no matter where we came from and who we are. We are all sinners in the sight of a merciful and gracious God. And so we are only to elevate Jesus, the divine one. But unfortunately, because we're sinners, we do often sin. And we make mistakes and we favoritize one person over another or one group over another. And that was what was taking place in the days of James. And he gives this interesting example, verses two through four, as he describes two men who walk into an assembly like today and they come in as the, the service starts and there's a rich man and a poor man. And I want you to look again at verses two, and, two through four and see how James described it. He said, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So I want you to imagine the service about to begin and all of a sudden two guests walk in, one a rich man, another a poor man. What James was talking about was is he wanted to have us think about these two people coming in and how the church showed partiality and, and they showed favoritism towards the rich man and not the poor man. In the days of, of James... It would, it would be synagogues. There were synagogues where these Jewish Christians would come in and worship, and, and even Gentile Christians eventually would come in and worship. And, and it was similar to a building like ours, except it would be much smaller. And in, and in this day and age, you would have about two rows of chairs or pews. The rest of the room was just an open space. You may have some chairs around the back, or around the sides, but there would be a big open space. And that open space was designed for people who came in either uh, really on time or late. It was designed for people even of, of lower social standing and they would come and either stand during the worship service or they would sit on the floor during the worship service. Those first two rows were really designed for the teachers or for the scribes or even for guests of high regard or of high social class and standing. Well, in walks a man with, as James described, with gold rings on his fingers. One translation describes it as gold fingers. The wealthy people of the day, they would often go and visit different synagogues and different worship gatherings. And many of them were politicians or leaders in the community. And they would go from one church to the next and they would wear different rings. And they would all be gold rings because they wanted everybody to know they were there. And so oftentimes leaders in the community would come and, and they would show off their nice golden rings so that they would get special treatment. 
And when they would walk in, they would not only walk in with gold fingers, but they would walk in with fine clothes. The Greek fine here, it really means that of illustrious, extravagant. So when I think about fine clothes, I think about the red carpet. As you walk on the red carpet, people are in their, their best dress. I think about prom. I think about weddings. I think about fine dining. I think about GQ magazines, (laughs) and no, I I don't subscribe to GQ magazines, but I have seen front covers of GQ magazines, and those men are always dressed in their Sunday best. Well, this rich man came in in his Sunday best, not only with the gold rings on his fingers, but he came in with his best Sunday dress, And, and what did the people do? But they ran to him, and they said, hey, sir, we've got a place right here, and the person sitting in the front moved, and they made sure he had the best seat in the house. Meanwhile, there was a poor man who walked in, all disheveled, maybe had the, had the clothes that, that he owned on his back. That might have been his only pair of clothing he owned. And he walked in very disheveled, and, and they said, hey, hey, man, uh, why don't you go stand over there? They even went as low as saying, you could go sit at the footstool. The footstool was designed for the people in the front to put their feet down uh, just to be more comfortable. It wasn't designed for sitting It was designed for a foot to be. But yet, the members of this congregation of James Day, they said, hey, you can sit here on the footstool too if you'd like. It was just a slap in the face to the poor man. And I like how James, he concluded by by saying, have you not, in verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What James was getting at here is he's saying, you are showing favoritism to the rich man and not the poor man. This should not be. You know what James was saying to them and to us today? He's saying that it's absurd to be partial to anyone. All people should be treated equally when they come in the church building. And if there's one community in this world where people should get equal treatment, it's the church. Because here's the thing. The church is a hospital for sinners. The church is a refuge for believers. I think the church is more for the believer than the non-believer, but we always welcome the non-believer. But the church is really designed to strengthen the faith of the believer. It's designed to encourage believers in the Lord because when we leave this building today, we're gonna go into an ungodly culture. And, And as you know, you've heard me preach about this for 10 years, we are drifting from the Lord as a nation. And as we're drifting Christians are, are having to grow stronger in their faith, which is a good thing for us. It's just hard. And as I preached a couple weeks ago, we are to endure hardship. And so as we leave this church building, we go into a world that thinks we have two heads for what we believe. And they're looking at us as if we're crazy and we're experiencing persecution. Many of us are even suffering with members of our own family, our own coworkers or friends. And so as we go out into the world and we just take hits left and right and we suffer, we come back here as a place of ah, refuge, as a place of encouragement. It's also a hospital for sinners. It's not to be a country club. You know, there was an example of a church one time where they were waiting on the pastor to start the service and it was pretty full. You just had a couple empty seats in the front row because it was a, a back row Baptist church or you know, a back row Presbyterian church where a lot of people sit in the back row and they left a couple of the front, the front rows open for seats. And so there was just a few open seats in the front row, but everything else was pretty full and everybody was wondering, where's the pastor? 
the service had just about to start, and the musician starts playing his music kind of frantically, wondering, where's boss? Where's the pastor? What's going on here? And sure enough, as everybody's waiting, there in walks a man who's really disheveled, a homeless man, you know, and he has a hat on, he has a jacket on, you really can't understand who he is, you can't make out who he is, and he just walks around, nobody goes to greet him, and he slowly walks to the front, because that was the only open seat, and he sits down. Meanwhile, people are talking amongst themselves, they're whispering, they're saying, did you, did you see him? I can't believe he's here. Oh my goodness, why is this guy here? What's happening here? About three, four minutes go by, and people are getting anxious. Where's the pastor, and who's this guy, and what's going on? And all of a sudden, the man stands up, and people, what's happening? What's this guy going to do? And he takes off his jacket, takes off his hat. It's the pastor. And the pastor gets behind the pulpit, and he says, church, we have a lot of work to do. Not one of you greeted me. Not one of you welcomed me. And many of you were talking about me. We have a lot of work to do. You know, I would say in our history, we have strived to be a welcoming church. I am pleased to say that our last new member class, we had 40 people join, and, and many of them said the reason they came is not only do we preach and teach the Bible, but they said, but we felt like this was a warm place to be. You know, we felt welcomed by many of, of the people here. Church, keep that up. I mean, that was warm to my soul when I heard many of the new members say that. They said, I felt welcomed here by, by many of the congregation. Some of them said that some of you invited them to your Sunday class. Some of you invited them to your small group. Some of you even invited them out to lunch after service. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. Keep that up. I would say we haven't always been that way. Uh, one criticism I've received is that as Presbyterians, we tend to love our theology. We love our, our, our doctrine. And we're very studious, and that's how we are. And so sometimes we're introverts, and we love to study. Let's get out of our comfort zone. And as you see somebody coming in early, they're usually guests, and they're sitting by themselves, go talk to them. If you notice somebody that, that you've never met before, they may have been a member here 10 years, don't worry about it. Just go meet them if you've never met them before. Our elders here, we seek to be a place that is warm and welcoming, and I'm excited to say that I think it's happening more. But let's keep it up and let's only get better. I don't want to be a country club. I want to be a place that's warm and welcoming to anybody who walks through these doors where they feel loved. Because that's what Jesus does for us. He loves his neighbor as himself. He calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I know that's easier said than done. But here's another thing I want to say that I'm, I'm excited about. I've talked to several people who aren't in Farragut that come from different parts of, of this area, and, and they'll come here and they'll say, I came here kind of timid because Farragut, right? I didn't want to come into, well, I got to dress up really nice and be really on my best behavior because I'm in suburbs, I'm in the Farragut world. I'm pleased to say a lot of people, when they get here, they realize, hey, it's not like that. You know, people are in jeans, people are in ties and suit, sport coats, people are in jeans, some are in shorts, you know, you come as you are within respect, right? But you come as you are. And I'm encouraged to hear people saying that. They're saying, this is not this white collar suburb church. This has a variety of, of, of people and ages and stages. And that's the beauty of the church. One thing I loved about the early church. Now we don't do this here because our church is, is too big. And a lot of churches are too big to do this nowadays. But they used to meet in homes and they had small churches. And after every church service, they would have what they would call an agape meal, a love meal. 
and, and they, would, they would gather together after every church service and the rich and the poor would sit together the one time in the week where they'd be at the table together, they would serve one another, they would talk about life, they would pray together, and they would eat together. That's the church. That's the beauty of the church. And that's what James was seeking for his people to do and to be like. But again, here's the reality. Many of us, we, we tend to group up and we form cliques. I think about students. A lot of you are in here right now. You're, you're in a hard situation in middle and high school because you're, you're dealing with cliques. And I used to hate cliques. I was the kind of guy that I would hang out with the, with the jocks and then I'd go hang out with the, you know, the nerds. And anytime I'd see somebody sitting alone, I'd say, hey, come sit with us, come hang out with us. Do that. If you see somebody sitting by themselves, go talk to them. It's been fun because now that I've been going to reunions, you start seeing the people <laughs> who really surprise you in your life. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. One guy, his name was Brad. He was really skinny. I see him 20 years later. He's a Marine and he's buff. And I'm like, what happened to Brad over there? You know, you never know. <laughs> so I just bring that up because kids, especially students, you're in a world of cliques. Don't be cliquish. You know, seek to open up to others and, and be welcoming to others. And, and it's so easy for us to look at the outward appearance. We look at the externals. But God calls us to look at the internal, the inward appearance. I like 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel goes to, to find David. And, and you remember that story of, of how uh, they, they go and they end up looking at all these different brothers. And finally, they, they go to David. And, and, and the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at, on the heart. And so again, it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in the outward appearance, the rich and famous, the popular crowd. It's easy for us to favoritize those folks. But no, we are not to do that. Now, let me give a little side note here. We are in an age in our, in our American society that says, love everyone, accept everyone. The message that Jesus is saying here is love everyone. I would say this, love sinners. Don't love the sin. I bring that up because we're in a critical time in our calendar year that is now Pride Month. And I find it ironic, it's called pride. We are not to be prideful. We are to be selfless, unselfish. We are to be humble, not prideful. And so again, I wanna be clear here that Jesus is saying you welcome sinners, but you don't welcome the sin. And if you're identifying with the sin, that is uncalled for. That's not what Jesus is getting at here through James. He's saying you welcome the sinners and you love them. And sometimes loving sinners is gently and lovingly confronting the sin. Think about what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus come down. He ends up confronting him and loving him because Zacchaeus was taking advantage of the poor. Uh, think about uh, the, the woman at the well he loved her, but he said, go and sin no more. Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. And sometimes it means we got to speak truth in love. So I'm not saying we welcome everything. I'm saying we welcome everyone, but we don't welcome sin. So again, I want to make sure uh, you understand that, that this is the context here. But James is really getting at 
being mindful of favoritizing the rich and the poor. And he goes on to say in verses five and through seven, he said, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to, lo- to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You know, what James is getting at here is oftentimes it's the poor who have robust, vibrant faith. It's not the rich. Sometimes it's the rich, but many times it's the poor. And that's what he was getting at here. And and you think about the majority of disciples other than Matthew, you think, and, and Judas, you think about the other disciples, fishermen, unschooled, ordinary men that Jesus called, blue-collar workers that Jesus said, come and follow me. And it was these men who changed the world upside down. I think about 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 29. But consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I love this passage because it's a reminder that God chooses the weak, the lowly, to shake up things and to stir up things and to change the world upside down. And you think about all those fishermen disciples, all those women too that Jesus used, And you think about their social status, think about their lack of education, but yet God used them in mighty, mighty ways. So again, God can use us, those of us who are weak, and he can use us to accomplish incredible things and accomplish his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. The rich, though, they oftentimes, not always, but they oftentimes exploit the poor. And this was what was going on in the days of James. The rich, they would would take the poor to court They would throw them out of their land. They would also charge the poor high interest rates that they knew the poor couldn't pay. They would impose late late fees and late payments. And then they would force all of them to court. And they would ask the judge, because these poor people couldn't make these unrealistic payments, they would ask the judge for the poor to forfeit their inheritance. Isn't that terrible? They would oppress the poor and they would exploit them. And so James is getting at here, don't just look, don't look at the outward appearance, look at the inward appearance, and so often it's the poor who are the ones who have a robust faith, not the rich. In fact, many of the rich will take advantage of the poor. But I do want to mention that not all rich, not all wealthy take advantage of the poor. Uh, You think about, as I mentioned, Zacchaeus earlier. Uh, Judas was pretty well-to-do. I think about Nicodemus, who was well-to-do. So there are exceptions to the rule. And Leviticus 19.15 tells us that we are to treat both the rich and the poor equally. And again, as I think about our culture, so often we are oppressing the rich in some ways. We're taking advantage of the rich because we're elevating the poor. No, we, uh, we, we look at both and we serve both. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Treat everyone with respect, with dignity, with love. Treat everybody that way because when we're all at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, whether you're rich or you're poor. I like Proverbs 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common. 
The Lord is the maker of them all. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So keep that in mind. So again, the first thing James is getting at here in these first few verses here is that in light of Christ's divine glory, we should not show favoritism. The second point, he shifts gears and he says, in light of the divine royal law of liberty, we should not show favoritism. Look at verses eight and nine. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by, convicted by the law as transgressors. I like how James described the law as royal. And when you think of royalty, you think about uh, Princess, Prince William and Princess Kate. You think about royalty. You think about, uh, you think about supremacy. You think about authority. I think about Jesus being our royal king. And I think about how he's given us a royal law to follow. And the royal law that James is referring to here consists of the entire law, the whole law, Old and New Testament. So when I think about the Old Testament law, I think about, I think about how in Leviticus 19, God gave Moses the law for, for God's people, and he said this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We see that in Leviticus 19. What does Jesus say is the greatest commandment in Matthew 20, 22? Verse 35, a teacher of the law uh, asked Jesus the question and to try to test him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. And like what he said here in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the royal law. So all of it in its entirety. Love the Lord with everything you have. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. To treat others with respect and dignity like you would want to be treated is the law that Jesus has given us. And so again, that is the royal law, but James goes on to say, yes, it's the whole law, but we often break parts of the whole. Verse 10 and 11, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You know what James is getting at here is he was saying, okay, believer in my day, you're doing really good about coming to worship. You're, 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 in, your, you're in the word of God regularly. You're serving people. Uh, you, you really have a, a strong faith. But he said, there's one area that you're just struggling in, and it's favoritism. You're, you're favoritizing the rich over the poor. And he said, you may be doing so well in all these other areas, but there's a blind spot here I'm calling you out on. My question to you this morning is, what's your blind spot? We all have them. What's your blind spot? This week, my discipleship group, I've been discipling seven guys, and we're going through uh, the, the discipleship curriculum I started or I created. And, it, and a lot of the second section is based off the book, Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books on spiritual development. And it talks about how we often in culture, we, we focus on the big sins of society, but we neglect those subtle, respectable sins that we commit every day. Sins like worry, impatience, irritability, gossip. You know, one of my biggest weaknesses is I can be impatient. I'm sure that doesn't surprise many of you because I'm a type A personality. <laughs> so I can be impatient. So this week in our discipleship study, we were talking about impatience and I thought, man, I'm convicted. That's a blind spot. 
for me, right? What's your blind spot? That's what James is talking about here. He's saying we all have blind spots and the people of his day, their blind spot was favoritism. They were favoritizing another group of people. And if you focus on all these other areas but neglect one, that's a problem. We gotta focus on all, the royal law, the whole thing. But because we do break even one law, it's as if we broke it all. Because here's the reality. God is perfect. He's given us his royal law of perfection. He wants us to follow it. But because we are imperfect people, we won't follow the entire law. We'll break it. We'll break it time and time and time again. And so it kind of leaves us feeling helpless and hopeless. But here's the good news. And James closes this section with some good news. Verses 12 and 13, he charges his people. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what I love here about what James does? And it's kind of subtle. He starts by talking about the royal law. And then he goes on to describe the law of liberty. Do you know what the law of liberty is? The law of liberty is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the good news of Jesus Christ? We've been talking about it all morning in our singing and Heidelberg reading and even our prayers. The good news is is that even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. We know that we have blind spots. We know that we sin. I think all of you should know that. If you don't, I'm breaking the news to you today. You're a sinner. You sin. We sin a lot. But the good news is, is that Jesus never sinned. And he left heaven and he came to this earth. He lived perfectly. And then he died a death so that we wouldn't have to die. It was horrific. He died on a cross. And why did he do it? Because God the Father is perfect. He demands us to live perfectly. And because we don't, we are separated from God. We're completely separated from God. But God, who is rich in love and mercy, he sent his perfect son to this earth from heaven. Jesus paid the penalty for us. And that that payment was not money, it was blood. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we wouldn't have to shed our blood. And it appeased the wrath of God the Father. And as a result, he no longer sends his harsh judgment on us, his people, who believe in Jesus, but he sees us as his son and as his daughter. He sees the good works of Jesus and he looks at us and says, you're forgiven. You can now live by the law of liberty in that you have been set free. No longer do you have this big burden on your back like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, but it's removed and you can be set free in joy. And because you have been forgiven and because you are loved, now go and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you can adequately love your neighbor. It's by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Now go and show love to anyone you come into contact with. That's the charge James was giving to the people of his day, and that's the charge I'm giving to you through his word. Live by the law of liberty, knowing that mercy triumphs over judgment, and his mercy is great. We deserved sin and death, but because of his mercy, believer in Christ, you now can have hope 
and you now can love your neighbor as yourself without showing favoritism. So keep that in mind. Let's pray.